Hey, thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message today, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bibles, open them to the book of Psalms. Psalm 90. Psalm 90. It's one of my favorite psalms. And I want to talk about it with you, my favorite people. Um, title of this message is Humanity Against the Backdrop of Divinity. Humanity Against the Backdrop of Divinity. Uh, one final time, let me tell you that the book of Psalms was the hymn book for ancient Jewish worship. It includes songs, although we don't have the melodies, we have the lyrics. It includes responsive readings. It includes uh, readings that are meant to be recited by a leader to a congregation or a congregation to uh, each other. And so it was a very important part of ancient Jewish worship. And Psalm 90 is one of the gems in this whole jewelry box of gems. Um, it's the only psalm that is, con- that is uh, associated with Moses. And um, there's a superscription at the top of the psalm in many of our Bibles. It says a song of Moses. In Hebrew, that superscription could say a song of Moses or a song to Moses. Uh, those superscriptions were added at, uh, after the original, so they weren't original with the text. So we don't know exactly if Moses wrote this psalm or not. It doesn't really matter. The fact is, it is a majesty of a psalm. Psalm 90, beginning with verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light. Of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. 
Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for the years to come. We come to you with worshipful hearts, realizing that we will struggle with frustration in our attempts, feeble attempts to fully comprehend everything about you. But knowing that we would be foolish not to acknowledge you and to praise you and to commit our lives to you and to surrender to you. And so, Lord, we do. Not even realizing all that that means, surrender. But, Lord, we commit our lives to you. And we pray that you would speak to us through your word It's deeper than we can swim, higher than we can climb, wider than we can reach. But Lord, help us to reach something from your word that will be from you that we can take home. And Lord, as we worship you, we also lift up to you our church, our people. I lift up, Lord, families who, for whom Thanksgiving was different It was different, it was tougher, it was harder, it was painful. Lord, I lift up to you people who are recovering from different surgeries. Lord, I pray for Linda Roberts, Wayne Lassiter, Vicki Blunt. I pray for Janice Grace. I pray for those who are dealing with upcoming surgeries. Karen Lambert, Rachel Kearns, Wendy James. Daryl Bird. I pray for those who are struggling with cancer. Christy Francis. Miss Jane Edwards. Lord, I pray for those who've lost loved ones. The family of Pastor Wesley Sheffield. And Lord, I, I pray for the people whose names have not come to my mind at this moment, but you know about them. You never forget them. I pray for them now. And Lord, I pray for the person who's here right now who's hurting. And for the person who's here right now who's lost. And the person who's here right now who came here desperate for your touch. Meet us here, O Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I'm on Facebook because I'm a young man. Some of our young people just leaned over and said he's on Facebook because he's an old man. All the young people have left Facebook for other frontiers like Instagram and Snapchat or something. I don't know what they are. But I'm on Facebook, and uh, as many of you who are on Facebook know, Facebook asks you certain questions. You don't have to answer them. Most people don't answer all of them. Some people don't answer any of them. Uh, but there, there are things like uh, what your education level is, where you work, how long you've been there, um, uh, relationships. What's your relationship? And normally when, when they ask your relationship, they're asking, uh, are you in a love relationship? Are you married? Or not married? Do you have a boyfriend, a girlfriend? Are you in a relationship? And you know, 
you know, uh, those of you who are on Facebook where you see that. I was, I was uh, and on mine, it, it says in my relationship, I, I, I wanted everybody to know who's on Facebook to know that I'm, uh, I'm Amanda's husband, see, because I love that. Uh, she's my best friend. And uh, you, you have me on yours, don't you, baby? Please, you do, don't you? You do? Okay, okay. I, I well, you know, I thought about this this morning. I wasn't, wasn't quite sure. Yeah, so I'm on Amanda's as her husband. Um, I was looking at uh, some of the, I have some high school friends who are on Facebook, and on their relationship, a couple of them put complicated. Yeah. And I know what that means. That means that it's complicated, Right. Of course, that could be said of all of our relationships probably, at least at some point. It gets complicated, doesn't it? I mean, what guy in here doesn't think that your, your, uh, your better half, your wife, isn't complicated? She's complicated. And what woman in here is thinking, oh, he's not complicated. He's easy to sum up. Right? No? Probably shouldn't have said that. Complicated. Human beings are complicated. And uh, we, we are complex. I mean, even if you, if you try to break down the elements that make up our human bodies, we're a complicated species. We're complex. There's no way that we can fully understand everybody. I, was, uh, I started preaching in 1981. I started pastoring in 1983. So I've been doing it a really long time. All of those years, I've been trying to figure people out. And I've come to a conclusion about people. You want to hear it? You're going to hear it, whether you want to or not. You ready for this? I am fed up with finding people out. I can't, I can't figure people out. Can you figure people out? They're so complex. I mean, try to dissect somebody's mind. It's absolutely impossible. I had a funeral this past week of a lady who was 82 years old, or she would have been in seven more days, 82 years old. Now, let me just do a test right here. Just in your mind, what kind of car do you think an 82-year-old would drive? Just in your your mind, don't say it, but in your mind, what kind of car? Picture it. Is it a sport car or is it a sedan? Is it uh, a Maserati or is it a Buick? Is it an Oldsmobile or is it uh, an Audi? You got it in your mind what kind of car maybe she would drive? Here's another question. What kind of music do you think would be her favorite music? Now, she was born in 1935. And so uh, when she was a teenager, she's in the early 1940s. It's World War II. Big bands are out. Benny Goodman. I mean, uh, some songs that, that many of us, most of us here today probably never heard of before. What kind of music would she have liked, you know? What kind of person would she be? What kind of dresses and clothes would she wear? What kind of department stores would she visit? In my mind, when I think of an 82-year-old woman, there are certain stereotypes. I shouldn't have stereotypes, but there are certain stereotypes that come to my mind as to the kind of things she would do and the kind of things she would like. But with this particular 82-year-old woman, who had been married, by the way, to her husband for 62 years, she met him at a bus stop of all places, in College Park at 11 p.m. on a Saturday night. She met her husband-to-be at a bus stop in College Park. Nobody ought to be at a bus stop in College Park at 11 p.m. You just don't go there. Of course, it was a different time. They were married 62 years. Get this. Her favorite music, her favorite artist was Bob Seger. 
She went with her daughter. Her daughter's name was Perry. Her, she went with her daughter to four different Bob Seger concerts. Bob Seger. She was probably at a concert I went to to see Bob Seger. And here I am almost 30 years younger than she was. I went to four different Bob Seger concerts and she was probably out there. All I had to do was look for the oldest person in the crowd and she was probably there. Listen, my stereotype picture of her was totally off. I had not, I could not figure her out. I couldn't, I couldn't. You know what car she drove? Because I'm thinking a four-door Oldsmobile or a Buick with a vinyl top. Some of you are thinking, vinyl top? What's a vinyl top? With roll-up windows. This woman drove a 1991 white Trans Am. She drove a Trans Am. Can you believe that? I am not, I'm not kidding. Her husband one, one night, several years ago, had, had gone off with his brother and some buddies of theirs playing poker. And as they were playing poker, she was at home with their kids. The kids were younger. And she phoned him to let him know that she, that the, that she needed some milk in order to feed the kids. So whenever she, he got through playing poker, she was fine with him playing poker. Whenever he got through, on the way back, she wanted him to stop at the store and pick up some milk. And so he said, sure, I'll be glad to do that, baby. And uh, they got off the phone, and they kept, he and his buddies kept playing poker. And one hour came, and another hour went by, and another hour came, and another hour went by. And finally, there were several hours of poker playing. And finally, when the guys got through, it was, it was on up into the morning. And he and his brother got up and go out in the car. And he said, now, don't forget you need to get milk for the kids. This is already up into the morning. He goes to crank up his truck, and his brother says, man, it sure is foggy out here. And they got to looking at their windshield. He turned the truck off. He got out, and he went out and looked at his windshield, and his wife, this lady whose funeral I have, this 82-year-old woman who drives a Trans Am and goes to Bob Seger concerts, had gotten angry with him about not getting that milk home for her kids quickly enough and instead playing poker. And so she had gone out there and she had taken some Vaseline and had smeared Vaseline all over the windshield of that pickup truck. He had a cooler in the back of that truck with some drinks. I won't tell you what kind of drinks, but there were some drinks in there. And while after she got through smearing all the Vaseline all over the pickup truck windshield, she goes into that cooler and she pops the top off of every drink and empties it in the back bed of the pickup. This woman is 82 years old. I say all that to say, right at the moment where you think you have people figured out, you don't. We can't figure out people because we are so complex. We are complicated people. And yet, what we find in a psalm like Psalm 90 is this. No matter how complicated and complex you and I as human beings are, when we compare and contrast ourselves to the awesomeness of God, our complexity fades into nothing. We become this little bitty bitty single speck of dust in a Georgia Dome universe that is God. And this psalmist here, it's a psalm, some, some commentators say this is a psalm about time, and it does refer to time. 
It's, it's this psalm that says that if we make it to 70 years, maybe 80, uh, but yet the extra time is full of toil and trouble. It, it talks about God being everlasting to everlasting, but it talks about our lives being finite like a breath, like a watch in the night. It does refer to time, but it uses time to make a contrast between God on one hand and people on the other. And it's an amazing contrast. For instance, look first at this, at this, at this uh, psalm, and it, and it teaches us about a brevity against the backdrop of eternity. A brevity against the backdrop of eternity. Brevity, when we speak of the brevity of something, we're talking about the short life of something. Earthworms, I'm told, last just a, a few days, if that many days at all, and then they die. Their lives are, are very brief. They are a brevity next to the decades, hopefully decades, of most human life. And yet we are a, a brief blip on the screen in contrast to the magnificent eternity that is God. You see, the psalmist here sees God as eternal. Verse 1, you have been our dwelling place throughout all, not some, all generations. Before the mountains were born, before you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting in the past to everlasting in the future, you are God. God is eternity. On the other hand, we're a, a brevity, we're mortality, we are, there, there's a beginning and there's an ending to our lives. Verse 3, you turn people back to dust. Verse 5, you sweep people away in the sleep of death. He does not mention God with death, as in the death of God. He talks about the death of us. We're like new grass in the morning. That, that grows up in the morning but by evening is withered. Our days, verse 10, may come to 70 years or 80 of strength endures. But they quickly pass away and we fly away. J.R.R. Tolkien of Lord of the Rings and Hobbit fame said this. He says, we're all fighting the long defeat and nobody gets a free pass. You and I are so finite, we're so limited, especially when contrasted with the eternity, everlasting to everlasting nature that is God. No matter how complex we might be, our lives in contrast to Him are nothing. Not only do we see the brevity in the backdrop against the backdrop of eternity, but we sim see simplicity against the backdrop of complexity. I know what y'all are thinking. You're thinking, he's using a bunch of words. He don't know what they mean. But I do. I know what they mean. The only reason I know what they mean is because I looked them up Tuesday. So that I'd know what they meant to tell you. Simplicity against the backdrop of complexity. God is a complexity. He is so complex that even the best most advanced words that we can, we can think of to use to describe God are woefully inadequate. For instance, think about all the omni words that, that uh, theologians use. Omnipresent. Omni means all or everything or all-encompassing. Omnipresent means everywhere present. That God is present everywhere all the time. There's nowhere we can go that you won't find God. You cannot get away from him. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. And it's true. 
But even such a, an advanced word like omnipresent is so insufficient in describing God. I mean, the fact that God is present everywhere, what does that mean? In what way is he present everywhere we go? I mean, if we go down to the uh, tavern, to the bar, is God there? Yes. Is his presence there the same as it is in church on Sunday? Sometimes yes. Sometimes no. There have been times when I have been places where I couldn't feel God, but I knew he was there because I knew that he's omnipresent. He's everywhere present. But there are other times when I've been in places, sometimes in a worship experience, sometimes just all alone, when I sense the presence of God in a special way. And so I realized then that when we talk about God being everywhere present, he's, he, the extent of his presence is different in one place as opposed to another. And I don't understand that. Do you? Omnipresent. Or omnipotent. That's another high-class word. It means all-powerful. There is nothing that God can't do So there's anything he can do, but when we talk about God being all-powerful, exactly what do we mean by that? And and, and how does God exercise his omnipotence, his all-powerfulness? We don't understand that. You see what I'm saying? Even the most high-class words that we can manufacture as human beings come, come woefully shy of being able to fully explain who God is. There's omniscient, which means all-knowing. God knows everything. And usually when we think about that, we're talking about the fact that God knows everything past, everything present, and everything future. But what does that mean? And how does he know what he knows? You see, we can, we can, we can stick our chest out and pop our noses up and talk about, Oh, well, oh the God I serve is omniscient. He's all-knowing. And if somebody challenges us and says, okay, tell me what that means, huh? All of a sudden, we're we're left speechless, really. We will fumble through our words trying to explain what these omnis are. And God is beyond our words, even our most advanced words. His, the, the God that you and I serve and that the Bible describes and the God who gave himself in the person of Christ to die for us is a God who evades Precise description. Verse 1, Lord, you've been our dwelling place. You turn people back to dust. You say, return to dust, O mortals. You see, what we find here in this, in this psalm is that God is complex in a supersized way. You know supersized? You know that word? Some of you do. Some of you do. You've been through the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A or Burger King, McDonald's. They say, would you like a number one or number two? Number two, supersized. I know you have because I saw you walk in the door today. I saw you. God is complex, supersized. It's exponential complexity is what God is. And we are seemingly insignificant in this, this universe that God is. There are other Psalms that talk about this. Psalm 8 and Psalm 144 both ask the same question. The question is this, what are human beings that you, God, are mindful of them? What on earth makes you even consider them? The speck of dust. God 
is complexity and next to him we fade into simplicity so much that even our most advanced words fail to describe him. And so this psalmist is, is looking at this, this awesomeness of God that he's not able to explain. And next to that, he looks at the, the finite mortality that human beings are. And then he, he, when he's thinking about that, he thinks about the struggles that you and I endure. You sweep us away in the sleep of death. Our days may come to 70 or 80 years if strength endures, but even then, life is just toil and it is struggle. Verse 7, we're consumed by your anger. We're terrified by your indignation. This is the struggle he's talking about. We're talking about security in the midst of adversity, and the adversity is, like in verse 8, you set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in your presence. Verse 9, all of our days pass away how? Under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. This is a very negative psalm. Talking about the struggles and the pains and the trials and the hardships that we, we face. And so he's, he's really having a hard time, this psalmist. He sees the magnificence of God. He sees the mortality of human beings. He sees the reality of what we face, the struggles of day-to-day living. And, and really he doesn't like it. And I, that's one of the things I love about this psalm because I, I, I'm going to tell you, you don't have to agree with this. I don't like everything that God does. I don't like everything he allows. Now, I like most of what he does, and I will say that he's been very, very good to me most of the time, I think. But I don't agree with everything that he's done. I don't like it. But even saying that is a very arrogant thing to say. And, and it's not, I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm simply looking at life, observing life in real terms. I'm looking at this awesome God I worship and serve. I'm looking at life and how hard it can be sometimes. And I wonder how in the world you put these things together. You know... I saw on a television program the other day a guy who was struggling with the existence of God, with the goodness of God, and somebody was arguing with him. He says, look, he said, the same God that created somebody as magnificent as you also created a rattlesnake. Don't you forget it. And I don't understand that. And this psalmist didn't understand that, but when it came right down to it, the one thing that he did need and the one thing that you and I need is is hope. And when he looked at his struggle and he saw the magnificence of God and he saw that he needed something outside himself because he's finite and mortal, he realized that the only option he had was to turn to God. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, when you feel like you are at your rope's end and you feel like life can't get any worse and you wonder why God dealt you the hand that he dealt you, stop And consider your other alternatives. What other alternatives are there except God? I could tell you, there are none. There are none. You say, well, I don't like that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I like it. That's the way it is. All the alternatives lead to nowhere. The only option you and I have for for hope is to place our trust in God. And so, when we look at how finite and how dusty we are, we look at God and He's our simplicity, He's our security, and finally He is our hope. 
against the backdrop of despair. In the, in the last part of this psalm, notice what this guy does. What does he do? He turns to God. Relent, Lord. Relent means please change my situation, Lord. How long will it be? How long are you going to wait? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us that we may sing. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us. Make us joyful for as many years as we've seen trouble. He's reaching out to God. He sees God as his only hope. So you see, when we see how seemingly insignificant we are in contrast to the incredible majesty of God, instead of leading us to despair, which it could, for this psalmist, it led him back to God. And that's what God wants to happen to you and me. Life is tough. It's tougher for some than it is for others. And for many of us, it's tougher one day than it is a different day. But ultimately, we're all going to wake up and have those, those Mondays that are overcast all day and nothing seems to go right. And all we can do is cry because we can't smile. And we cry out to God. And here's the incredible thing. This God who is bigger, more vast, more complex than the entire universe himself looks at this little speck of microscopic dust that you and I are and he looks at us and he says, you matter to me. That's, that's, uh, that's incredible. Isaac Watts, back in 1719, was reading Psalm 90 when he penned the words to this great hymn, O oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter in the stormy blast and our eternal home. Be thou our guard while life shall last and be our eternal home. More recently in the 1990s, Charlene Sledge wrote another piece based on Psalm 90. He says, Lord, you are the memory of where we've been and the anticipation of where we're going. Though we are not yet in possession of all that we have been promised, here and there along the way we catch glimpses of our eternal home. O Lord, you are our home along the way and at the end of the journey. And so for traveling with us, for rescuing us when we're lost, for calling us into your holy place, thanks be to you, O God, our eternal home. We don't have to look far to see how awesome God is. We also don't have to even look any further to see how troubled we are. But let the trouble in us turn us back toward the God who is awesome and who is the only one who can give us hope in our struggles. Let's pray. God, that you are even... Standing by to hear us pray is a miracle. That you are even there and interested in us, interested in what we're, we're going to say when we pray, even though you already know it. That's amazing. That you love us in spite of what you know about us, which is even more than we know about ourselves.
And so, Lord, in this invitation, we turn to you. Because you are our only hope. And you always will be. I pray for people here who are in desperate search of hope. Some people have never invited you to be their Savior and they're looking for eternal hope. Other people are going through the darkest of times that seem to be never-ending and they're looking for hope. Lord, whether we come up to the altar or whether we stay where we are, I pray that today people would find hope in this place. Hope in you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.